Consummate athletes seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another Friday bonus episode of The Consummate Athlete. This is a big one. I don't even know. It's it's not. It's like a full episode, I think. It's true. Yeah, this is like a full length episode. So anyone that was expecting like a quickie Friday, uh, hopefully, you know, I don't know, put it on double time or something. I mean, that's always a good. I talk pretty slowly most of the time unless I get excited. Yeah, I was going to say sometimes when I'm doing your audio, it's it's like this weird somehow the speed is being modulated by I don't know, the ghost of espresso has passed or something. Right. That could be a factor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, today's guests, I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, we have Dalton Leno and Will Nicholson of The Movement. They're physiotherapists based in Dundas, Ontario. Uh, and we met them a few months back when Paris to Ancaster, one of our favorite gravel cyclocrossy races, uh, in the world, basically, uh, unfortunately, was obviously canceled due to COVID-19. And then, you know, they decided to do this webinar and brought on a few people in the area who've done the race and, you know, have something to kind of share with the cycling community. And Dalton and Will were two of the speakers and as were we. Yeah, so we'll link to that. I mean, it was early in the whole COVID thing, but it may be relevant to you depending on where you're at with the whole thing and and i think it was a good well-rounded panel we had also our friend mandy dreyer was on who is a massage therapist but also does a lot of movement-based therapy uh and is also a mother now of of three uh good looking little kids and so she was talking more towards like female cycling uh yeah pelvic floor stuff and things like that so that might be a good one to go back to but we have as as you're saying we have dalton and will on today and we had a great conversation with them just about sort of I would say physio in general, but also just sort of even philosophical stuff of like, how do you get into running? Dalton's been trying to get into running more as a non-runner. He always has, has disliked it, been more on the power side of things. So I think that's probably relevant for some of us who are, are listening, who are not as much on the endurance side of things or not on the running th- side of things. And um, we talked through a few different injuries. Yeah. And I think what I really liked about them is uh, they sort of weren't like pushing one way or another there's a lot of physios who have like one really strict philosophy that sort of applies to everything so some you'll talk to and everything is just like it depends and fair enough it does depend Um, or oh you're going to need to go in and see someone about that or you know on the flip side oh you just need to do these like a bunch of stretches and everything and you're going to be fine Um, and I think they have a pretty like moderated moderate approach is probably the way to, to put it and You know, they were pretty open to discussing like, okay, here's what we would do. Here's what you could try at home. Uh, You know, here's when you could go see someone. Um, We, you know, even talk about sort of what it looks like going to see a physio. And I think a lot of people, you know, you always hear see a physio, see a physio, see a physical therapist, go see an osteopath, any of those things. Um, But I think sometimes that's, that's really easy advice for someone who's been in endurance sport for a long time and dealt with an injury. Um, but for someone who's getting into it, it's really kind of intimidating or like you don't feel pro enough to show up to a physio and say, I need help with something. Right. Or, or just to find the time, right. It's, it's tough. I would say endurance athletes are probably hesitant to go to, cause it's almost a sign of weakness and it takes time and it means you have to recover. And, but I think more and more, I think, and I think it fits with their philosophy of thinking of physio as well as just maintenance, right? Like we're the same as way your car needs some sort of 
you know, tune-ups or, you know, the tires wear out or, or different things happen, right? We're trying to get in there at sort of the first sign of niggles and just check it out, right? And, and that's often I've, I've tried to do that. COVID obviously like restricted that a bit, but just go in and be like, you know, sometimes my hips, you know, a bit off and this one knee and, and just do you see anything that's sort of a, you know, may be predisposing or what would you do? Is there an exercise or something? Um, you know, and I've had pretty good luck with that. I think knock on wood. Yeah, I felt like this this talk went a long way to kind of demystifying what it looks like to go see a physio and just, yeah, made me a lot more comfortable with the idea of going to one and, you know. For sure. And I mean, if you're around Dundas, I think that's a no brainer to go see them. But I think they, they also have a really good Instagram and you can see some of the stuff they're up to. What I really like when you when you see some of these physio or different uh, therapy things is they have a lot of actual weightlifting. Like it's not just like bands in their thing. Like you can see they have like a squat rack and they have a couple of different, you know, more strength training, what you'd expect to see in a gym. But their building is beautiful. It's a brand new building sort of was coming into uh, getting ready just to, as we did that webinar at the beginning of COVID at the beginning of 2020. So worth also, checking out. Also, shout out if you are in Dundas, uh, stop by the speed shop and get a bike fit with Scott Kelly. That's right. Uh, We've had him on as well and learned about travel and bike fits and things all bike racing. And actually, he was just recently in the last month or two on CX Hairs, our friends over at CX Hairs. Yeah, so definitely check all of them out, especially if you're in the Ontario area. And even if you're not, you'll still get a ton out of this episode. So enjoy our talk with Dalton and Will. Before we dive into this episode, I just wanted to take a quick second to tell you all about Watt Bike, the smart bike that might be able to fuel your trainer rides this season. It is Zwift certified. You can use it on all different kinds of leading training and racing apps. And what's super cool about Watt Bike, other than the fact that you don't need to start setting up your bike on a trainer, is that it has real ride feel technology. So it's actually going to feel like you're out on the road when you are safe inside during the winter or fall or as the weather it gets kind of crappy. Uh, it has precise and reliable data. You know you're actually going to get to see what your power numbers are. No, uh, no pretending that your power numbers are higher than they are or feeling bad because they seem lower than normal. And of course, you get free access to the Watt Bike Hub, which is a training application where you can find climbs, endurance, and sprint workouts. And of course, those fun tests to make sure that you're continually improving. Uh, to find out more about Wattbike, you can head over to wattbike.com slash US. That's W-A-T-T-Bike.com slash US. Or you can just head over to the show notes at consummateathlete.com for the link right there. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. So we are here with the guys from The Movement, uh, which, by the way, coolest name for a physio clinic ever. Um, <laughs> very minimalist, very chic. I'm, I'm into it. Um, so let's let's just start with both of you just introducing yourselves. I don't know who wants to go first here, but yeah, tell us tell us a little bit about well, you, how you ended up in this field, what your athletic background is. Yeah. All right. Uh, so my name is Dalton. I am one of the uh, the three founders of the movement. Um, a little bit of background about my, my athletic ability. Uh, this will be fun. Um, so I grew up playing a lot of different sports. Um, started off playing, playing hockey, good old Canadian um, playing hockey. Um, then, you know, did baseball, soccer, um, eventually moved towards football. I kind of put all my eggs into one basket in hopes of like taking that somewhere. Um, I played a little bit in uh, university. And then after that, I kind of hung up, hung up the cleats and transitioned more into just like overall 
overall health. So obviously I took the route of uh, physiotherapy was like kind of my career path, but always had a passion for exercise, strength training. Um, I eventually got into CrossFit. So I dabbled a little bit in that. And then I started to run a little bit. And I kind of like to say that I take a little bit of a dabble approach into, into different various things. Um, and then, you know, currently, I guess my, my focus is, has been running. Um, I think a lot of people got forced to that just obviously with our circumstances. Um, but for me, it's something that I've, uh, I've really started to find a passion in and enjoy it. Anyone who knows me, when they hear me say that, they can't believe that I'm saying it. Um, but I am, and, and I really actually, it's probably the first time in, in a while that I've gotten just like super excited to get to like to train, you know, like you can't wait for that next week's program to come out. Um, you can't wait to try new, new runs, different styles, all that stuff. So it's been, it's been really fun for me um, in that perspective. So that's just a little bit, a little bit about me and my, uh, my athletic background. Eloquently said, Dalton. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so for myself, uh, by the way, my name's Will. Uh, I'm also one of the founders of the movement. And uh, athletically, I kind of did a bunch of different things growing up. Uh, basically, anything with a ball, I did. Uh, I did like basketball, baseball. Uh, did a little bit of uh, hockey until I was 12. Uh, and then I played baseball throughout college at Brock University. Uh, for four years and then I kind of finished that and you know I was kind of like what do I want to do now uh, I had always played sports so competitively and so I think what was cool for me after university was the freedom to kind of explore different things uh, and I trained a little bit uh, just for baseball to to try to get better at performing in baseball so I was like, well, what can I do? And I like to kind of shock people with what I'm going into. So I went right into powerlifting. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years. And then from there, I was kind of like, well, how can I switch this up even more? And then similarly to Dalton, uh, just gotten into running a little bit more. Uh, and I do cycle a lot too. Uh, but I've been focusing more on running the last like couple of months. It's been really fun. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so jealous of the, the power lifting. I, my, I always say my, my claim to fame is that I accidentally won the like un, under, under 150 pounds women's bench press competition one year at Rutgers when I was in school <laughs> with nice. zero, zero practice other than walking into the gym and being like, oh, they're doing this today. <laughs> um, so I probably should have gone into power lifting instead of endurance sport, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so how did you, how did you and uh, your, your third co-founder, how did you guys end up with the, the movement? Yeah. So a little, yeah, the little story behind, behind that. So Will and I, um, we met in physiotherapy school, uh, at Western university in London. Um, when we were in our second year, we decided to start what we called the movement, um, which was like an Instagram page is originally what it, it, it was. And we started putting out, content um that we liked it was mostly exercise based a lot of different exercises and something that we thought that like we weren't getting a lot of in physio school so we kind of wanted to start to put some of that out and then that kind of ended up like spiraling a bit into like a bigger a bigger following and we kind of just start to like develop ourselves and we started to transition more into like you know talking about many different like areas of physiotherapy and we like to talk a lot about like exercise and pain and um like behavior change and all of that stuff. And then 
that kind of continue to develop. We also have a, have a podcast where we sit down and we talk with other healthcare professionals and other people in the health field. Um, and that, that kind of allowed for the movement to develop. And then recently we decided to take it into like a physical form. So um, we ended up meeting our third partner, his name's Don, um, who was um, a clinic manager for, for Will at the time um, when he was working for him. And we kind of brought him on board and we all wanted to do something. And then now we're in the process of opening our first clinic um, in Dundas, Ontario. And that will be like the physical form of the movement. <laughs> and do you have a date for that? Or I know with, with COVID you picked a, a interesting time to launch. So what's that looking like? Yeah, definitely an interesting time. It was like our, when it all started, I think our contractor was in Florida at the time, <laughs> Yeah, you know, just to give some perspective on maybe some of the ups and downs that we've had yeah. with starting this, but we have a tentative date. Yeah, tentatively, we're hoping um, August 4th, so coming up soon. So fingers crossed that nothing else kind of gets delayed. Um, doors hopefully opening August 4th. Oh, that's awesome. That's a really exciting time. Also very nerve wracking. I, I can only imagine. Um, but okay, so let's, let's get in. I'm gonna hit you with some like rapid fire, like injury questions here. Uh, so actually, my first one is weirdly about running efficiency. And I've asked a couple of different people about this one kind of in the past few months. And it's one that I, I'm just like so interested in. Um, when it comes to running form, um, I'll start with the easy one. I'm someone who runs with a self, this, this like hefty looking phone in my right hand at all times. Yay or nay? You can tell me it's a terrible idea, by the way. I think you can do it. Uh, like I do it too, um, mostly because I don't have any other option. Uh, I think it's probably just better comfort wise, maybe not to, but I don't think it's a problem necessarily yet. Okay. And when it comes to running form and like running efficiency and stuff, I know you guys are both kind of getting back into running. I imagine a lot of people you see are probably runners because if I'm thinking about who comes to physio, let's be honest, runners are injured like 90% of the time. So I, I imagine that's a good chunk of your clientele. Um, yeah, what are what are common running form issues that you've noticed? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like, yeah, definitely we've we've started to um, to see runners a little more often now, especially as we dabble into it, and it's just it's running season, so you obviously see people running into some trouble. When it comes to to running form, I think that's a like there's a lot to that to that question. I think it, it comes down to um, you know is are we focusing on performance? Is there an injury? Is there an injury involved? I think there's a lot of like nuance and and things that go into that that decision. So like when someone comes in, like running form is obviously something that we discuss. Um, and if it is influencing some of their pain and discomfort that they're experiencing, then that's something that we may want to to navigate. And that might not mean like we're going to change your running form forever, but it may be like, Hey, maybe we need to modify your cadence or change your stride length or do different things so that it's distributing the load differently so that you're not maybe flaring up or irritating that injury that could be, could be happening, you know? And then when it comes to like performance, I think that's a different, a different realm. And in terms of like my knowledge in like improving performance based running, that's not something that I'm, completely like well versed in obviously I just talked about diving into running um 
you know, getting a little bit more um, experience with that. But there are plenty of other people out there that, that we could like, sh- like share with you guys after to like, that could hit more on that performance side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was pretty good cover. I think something we want to watch for is change in technique, right? Like if someone's coming in to see us and they they've changed their technique that's a little bit of like a yellow sort of flag for us because uh you know then then it's kind of telling us that they're pushing through something you know and and we want to address that uh from like an injury risk standpoint there are certain things that do place more load on certain areas right and some things that jump to mind are things like you know are you overstriding uh, are you having a lot of vertical displacement when you're running? Uh, yeah. you know, are you crossing over a lot with your, with your feet when you're running, but they don't guarantee injury, right? It's yeah. just, it's all in context. So those are things we'll always make note of, uh, and, sure. and see if maybe they are worthwhile addressing or not. Yeah. I mean, I think right now you have a lot of, uh, I keep calling them COVID runners. So people who like just got into running from literally every other thing that they were doing before because as gyms closed it was like well what can I do I can run um, so I feel like there there are a lot of people who are probably probably are overstriding and, and doing a lot of those those things because that's how they imagine like that's what runners look like in magazines I feel like yeah it seems <laughs> like you do I feel like people don't necessarily know that running's a skill that you have to work on it's like oh I can just put on shoes and go run, but like, there's so much, so much more to it. Yeah. And I think you hit on a good point too, with the COVID thing. And, and a lot of times it's like you, it's hard to, to kind of differentiate, like, is it the running form or is it the fact that this person hasn't really run much and now they've ramped their volume of running up yeah. and now they're injured, right? Like, yeah, like it's a loading error. Like you could adapt yeah. to it, but you exactly. need more time. Exactly. And like mo- a lot of the times when we, the people that we see, it's that, it's that that's the problem as opposed to like the running form itself. Like it's obviously a factor that we consider, but I, I saw a quote in, a, in a Chris Johnson, who's someone that we've learned from. Yeah, he's in, great in, in Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. And he yeah. just posted a post, uh, someone posted a post about something he said, and he's like 80, 80% of the time runners are like running at 80% of their intensity, which results in like 80% of uh, running related injuries. Like most people don't understand the nuance of running. And this is something again, that I've started to learn is like, you know, you got it. You got to start slow. You got to start pacing yourself. You got to build a good volume. But most times people just go out and run their hardest, you know, and run at that intensity all the time, which is yeah. going to lend mm-hmm. itself to some injuries. Yeah. The same route at the same intensity, same distance. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I remember when I was first learning to run, I was so lucky. I was living in an area that had very gridded streets. So I actually started like just kind of naturally with like run walk with blocks. And it was so much e- like it was so not easy, like a mile sucked. Um, but I think I was very lucky in that I had that that system. I had that one course that I would just do, but it worked out in my favor because I could run walk right. easier. Um, Awesome. Okay. So the other question I have about running, this is weird, but I hear a lot of people lately complaining about Achilles injuries. Um, can you explain exactly what the heck the Achilles is and how runners hurt it? Because I feel like this is a thing where I hear it all the time and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, totally. So 
the uh, the Achilles is a tendon and it's on the back of your your ankle. It's that ropey sort of structure. And the thing that we want to know about tendons is that they attach muscle to bone and they help transfer force. So it's super, super important with running because that's, it's like something like, it was like six to eight times body weight force on your Achilles tendon, uh, you know, which is a lot of force. And so you can tell, uh, you know, why it might be an area of complaint, right? It's heavily used every time you're propelling, right? It's transferring that force from your calf to the bones in your foot so that you can push off. Uh, and so that's, you know, I think just the nature of it being such an important component, component to the running gait. Uh, is why it might be an area of complaint, uh, particular for like, you know, repetitive sort of overuse type injuries. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Now that you said it, I was like, oh yeah, that's the thing that always feels really tight. If I'm doing um, what I always have people do when I'm teaching yoga is when they have their, their foot in the air, I have them like write their name or do circles really yeah. slowly with their foot. And that's always where it feels super tight is when I'm on like the around part. And uh, just I'm like trying to show you this on a video with my arm and it's not working very well. But <laughs> I can definitely tell that that's the area that's, that's feeling tight. Um, so how can runners avoid injuring that? Well, yeah. go ahead. I think like a, a big thing to add into if you don't do it already is to actually have some progressive loading, some resistance training uh, for your heels. You know, things like calf raises uh, are great and, and loading it pretty heavily uh, is something that I think people don't do very often. Heavy, slow training of the Achilles and then also uh, just proper programming. You know, it comes down to yeah. that. Uh, yeah, those the, two components are really important. The Do you guys have, I, I just came across this the other day, but there, there is like in the physio world, there's some sort of like expectation for just even basic like human, uh, like calf strength, I guess this is the calf muscle we're talking about with the Achilles. But do you, do you recall what it is? Like, what would you use as a benchmark? Like I'm a human, I'm coming in and you want to see if my calf is strong enough. Oh, yeah, that's a, I know, I know what you're referencing. I think there is like some, there, there's some age related norms for like, okay. Yeah. That's what I'm going after. Reasons. I think it was like 20 single legs or something. something and, I, like I, that. and it's probably like, you're probably allowed to hold on to stuff too. I don't think it's like balancing or anything. And I don't recall if that was on a negative, like on a step or not, which I guess that's I, another thing. I think it is from step and it's a, a tempo, right? You want to maintain that's the same tempo and the same height. Uh, but yeah, I'm not sure the exact number, but I know there is a norm there with single leg heel raises and it's surprising if you try it out yourself, how yeah. hard it is. It is. <laughs> it is. It's, it's quite tough. And that's without, like you say, you could load that, you know, it doesn't take much to load it single leg with again, a, a negative. So standing on a step so that you get more of a, a stretch and range of motion out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's enough, right? Again, that would be a nice morning core, pretty easy thing to add that is challenging. Yeah. So to me, anything that's like below the like, say knee just irritates me as far as injuries are concerned, because it feels like this annoying, like I should be able to run through this and like, doesn't feel intense enough. But if, if someone came into your clinic and was like, this area that is apparently my Achilles is hurting, um, what, what would you, what would you kind of start them with? Would you tell them to just like stop running or how would you, how'd you go about fixing it? <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> 
Yeah, fix it. Be the wave your magic wand and take all my pain away. <laughs> um, yeah, ag- again, like we try to really take a holistic approach to these things, and like we really take the time to sit down and and just listen to the person's story and try to get a good understanding of like where they're coming from, what is their prior experiences. You know, there's a lot of things to to think about, but something like that, like one of the things we try to do is like the last thing we want to do is take away someone's activity. Like our goal is to always keep them participating in their activity at the highest level possible with the the injury that they're dealing with. Um, So, you know, when we think about running a big thing that we dive into is like, you know, prior history. Like, is this your first time running? Like we talked about before, how long is, have you been doing it for? What's your program look like? Do you have a program or do you just go out and run whenever you feel like you want to go out and run. Cause a lot of times it's those things that play a big factor into why someone's experiencing tendon pain, because tendons tend to, they do a great job. Like what Will talked about, about absorbing and transmitting forces, but they become irritated when we, we increase volume very quickly. And if they're not prepared, they become irritated or like high velocity movements that they're not prepared to take on and running can be a combination of both of those things. So first off is kind of diving into to those things. And then usually after we go through obviously like a thorough assessment and, you know, we go through things like checking their strength and, and all that it's then sitting down and, and really going over their program and seeing, okay, can we keep you running in some capacity if we can't, and we need you to stop running, what can we replace the running with so that you have something that can challenge you cardiovascularly? Cause I think a big thing that runners like freak out about is like, you take away my running, what am I going to do? You know, what am I, how am I supposed to get like, you know, my conditioning. So, you know, switching to something like a bike, which is a, which is a good option. And then obviously this is something you guys know about like doing many different activities. Like there's other things that we could pivot to that could help their cardiovascular conditioning while we train and build up the, the resilience in the calf and the Achilles, which involves some form of progressive loading. So we need to, to need to load the tendon. Um, obviously we need to keep in mind like how much we're doing that and like how much pain that person is having. Like there's all kinds of those things, but when it comes to tendons, like one thing we, we like to say is like the, the poison and the antidote to tendons is load. So usually load gets you into the trouble but load will also get you out of, out of the trouble. It just needs to be progress, progressively applied and appropriately dosed. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and sort of, okay, so, so moving slightly upward in the body, um, one question that I, I've gotten asked a few times and I've also had is, um, and this, this kind of actually goes to the strength and conditioning side of things, I think, is everyone always talks about getting your glutes to fire when you run. Um, don't know what that would feel like. Don't know how to tell if I'm doing it. Don't know how to make that work better. Um, so where, where would you start with that? Because I feel like that's just something that a lot of physios will tell someone like, oh, you just need to use your butt more when you run. Like that'll help this like hip issue you're having or this knee thing. And it's like, well, that's great, but I don't know how to do that. So <laughs> where, where do you start? It's, it's such an interesting thing, you know, because <laughs> to a certain extent, like, our glutes are meant to produce like powerful force, right? That's why they're like the largest, strongest muscle in your body. And so there's like, there's tempo, uh, based kind of, uh, like in, in essence, like the faster you go, the more you're going to use your glutes. Right. Uh, and, and, and position wise, like, uh, 
you know, if you're doing a lot of hip extension, like you're going to be using your glutes. Um, but, you know, to kind of spin that in a bit of a different way, I think it doesn't mean we don't think it's good to have strong glutes, right? Like for, for, for training wise, if you're training your glutes and you're training them to, to work well and attenuate forces, then that can help you manage load and manage forces when you are running. I think people sometimes get really bent, like really focused on what they're feeling when they're running. But if you're cycling through a motion that involves like hip flexion and extension, they're going to be working. Right. So you may not feel it very much, but that might not mean that they're not being used. Sorry, I like muted myself as I was about to say that. Uh, yeah, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and now if someone wanted to strengthen their glutes, though, um, I know a lot of runners who've said like they, you know, they either like want, like, let's be honest, firmer glutes or, or stronger glutes for like hill climbing and stuff. Where would you start them with actual like strength and conditioning? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, it. it I think we tend to, again to like want to try to give at times like this fancy glute exercise that just makes your glute nice and firm and fires the glute. You know what I mean? Like yeah, if we, you have that magic uh, thing, you could just tell me how to do That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish I did, but like most of the time it's like, it's like your basic strength and conditioning. Like you're going to, we're going to get people to squat. We're going to, we're going to get people to do a lot of single leg work. I think an mm -hmm. underutilized, um, strength training method for for runners is like is single leg work so things like split squats rear foot elevated split squats um lunge variations like things that are going to challenge your single leg stability and strength because when we run we're literally going from one leg to the other right so having that strength and control is uh we're, we're throwing things over here um is um it's super, it's super important. So it would look like appropriate strength and conditioning dosing. And I think something that, that happens is we, as, as physios, like we can say like from our experience, and, and I think this happens often is we tend to underload people. Like we don't load people enough. Like people need to be getting under a bar or, or doing heavy goblet squats or doing heavy, heavy lunge variations because when we want to build strength, we know we need to lift heavier weight. You know, so yeah, at some point, right? Like move beyond yeah. a, a small red band tubing, right? And, yeah. Exactly. At some points, that's probably appropriate, right? Again, coming back to like injury, like it's all about dosing. So maybe at some point, that's what people could tolerate. But yeah. if we want to get you to perform at the, the level that you want, like we need to move past those things. So I think that's, that's something that um, where we would have people start for sure. The language is very tough. I think you guys are both um, very good with the, the language and, you know, bedside manner for lack of a better term, but you need to be careful, you know, this like glute amnesia and all this, like your glutes don't work Well, you're standing here talking to me. So I'm not sure how they're not working. Uh, you're standing. Um, right. And so sometimes it's, it's tough. You must find it like unraveling some of these things without like offending the person or, or like, you know, throwing off their worldview, right? And glute amnesia. Yeah. There's like all this sorts of, like your glutes aren't working, right? Like they're turned off but you're standing, you know, you walked in the door, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and language is so, is so key. And I think 
it's something that, and, and I appreciate you saying that because it's something me and Will really think about often is like, how do we deliver these things to people? Because like, like you're saying, like people come in with a lot of like beliefs that they hold true to themselves and, and maybe, you know, have been told one thing by, by another healthcare professional or another trainer and now, or, or anyone. And now we're sitting here with some understanding of an, of a, of a topic that, that they may not have taken this perspective and we're trying to have them understand because we think that that's the best way for them to approach things. So someone who could maybe hold like a big belief where they're like, my glutes aren't turning on, my glutes aren't firing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to completely blow that belief out of the water. Even if I don't necessarily believe that that's, that's true. Like we just talked about, like we know when you squat, your glutes are firing. So your, your, your glutes are not shut off, but we can't just go and blow someone's worldview of that up. And we need to figure out, ways to how we can start to have people understand that you know these muscles are firing and when you are running and when you are doing a squat even though you may not be feeling it you're doing a big full body movement where you're getting a lot of muscle contraction you're probably not going to feel an isolated muscle contracting but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not working right and those are like that's the battle that we play like every day and, and mm-hmm. it's important and, and we really push it because we want everyone like all healthcare professionals to think about these things because like your words are very, very powerful um, when you're speaking to someone when it comes to like an injury or trying to improve on a performance. Yeah. And that's, so that's actually a really interesting thing that kind of just brought up. I was just on a run with a couple of friends and it, like during the run they were talking about like one of them had uh like hip pain and then the other one was like yeah I've had like a you know like I've had a pain in the same spot so now I'm getting like the same I'm doing like the same things that you're doing to like fix it and I was like uh, just quick query you guys know that it, it might not be the exact same thing that's going on mm-hmm. uh, but I think we're, we're so quick to want answers maybe Mm-hmm. we want to have like the reason our hip hurts or the reason our, our ankle hurts or whatever. So if someone is like, Oh, it might be this. Cause I have this. You're like, yep, that's definitely it. So if I'm yeah. Talking to someone and I'm like, Oh, my like hips been weird. And someone's like, Oh, it's cause your glutes aren't turned on. I'm like, right. my glutes aren't turned on. Right. That, that's doesn't definitely. matter who told me that, but now I, that's my gospel. Yeah. It's so easy to just say that X reason is the reason that you're in pain. It's yeah. much harder to go over some of the stuff that Dalton's saying. It's, there's a lot of nuance to it. It can take time. You know, it's, it might be unpredictable. It might not be an easy process, you know, but hey, it's going to be rewarding when you're, when you're better and you understand, you know, how to navigate this stuff in a couple of months, right? So it's just, you have to commit to, to knowing that this is going to be a difficult thing to try to get across to people. It's not a super quick fix. Yeah. And I think that actually answers the the question I had about like, what do you wish athletes knew before coming into physio? Yeah. Um, but other than that, is there anything else you would sort of add to that concept? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big premise of it. And it's like, we've created this and, and we're not like, we're not beyond this at all. Like we we've experienced pain and stuff as well. It's like everyone wants that quick fix, but we know that that's not the answer. And like, it, it, it's hard to understand that we try to translate it to what people may understand. It's like, as an athlete, no matter what sport you're in, in order to become really good at, at a particular sport or activity, like you need to put time in, you need to work hard. You need to understand that there's many factors that influence the success of your performance. 
the same thing goes for rehab. You know, it's not just going to, you're not just going to come in and do one thing and then your, your pain's going to go away. You know, you, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be new things that you're going to learn. You're going to have a period of success and then that may be followed by a period of, of a little bit of a failure, but those all information that we take in and, and learn and apply to the, the overall bigger focus of your goal. So it's kind of trying to understand that. And it's so cliche to say, like, try to like trust the process or understand the process, but it's so, it's so true to, to most things. And it's something that we're trying to push in the, in the rehab world, because I think the opposite sometimes is, is, um, is, um, marketed, right. And, and the hard thing is that pain is so complex and we, we don't sit here and say we have all the answers. Um, but we know that there's so many different factors that go into pain and it's more than just one particular exercise or one particular modality that's going to resolve that pain. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, and then sort of on, on like the, the flip side of that, um, so that's, that's what they, that's what we want, you know, athletes to think about before they're coming to you guys. Um, do you have any like favorite at home, like modalities for kind of dealing with either pre in like before you even have an injury or, or like as you're kind of recovering from one, like, are you, are you psyched on like foam rolling or those like trigger point guns or should we buy the boots? Um, do we need a sauna? Like what's, what's your like go-to recommendations? So my thought with that is that my recommendation comes less around the specific modality uh, and more around building the habits you know, like this is something that we were talking about before, I think even uh, we started recording where you get like, if you do some foam rolling, like I think that can be beneficial if it's part of your sort of like 15 minute routine that helps get you moving uh, and that sort of thing and just feeling good. That could be the sauna. That could be going for a walk. It could be doing some mindfulness, like whatever those habits are that are going to help anchor you uh, into, into building some consistency, uh, in your life where you're just paying attention to yourself and your own body. I think that's kind of where, where we lean with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's almost trying to find something like that you believe in and that's relaxing, right? Like I, I think the, the foam rolling sometimes is one that's like people go after it and it's like a, a chore and it's stressful and it's painful. And it's like, I don't know that you're getting the benefit you think you're getting out of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then like, I, I find it super relaxing. I've always been pretty into a bit of that mobility type rolling stuff. And I mean, I can sit here and argue why it's not a good idea and why it isn't beneficial. As Molly will tell you, I can have great arguments with myself. Yeah, it's um, great. If I ever want to like win an argument, I really just wait for like 20 minutes and he'll eventually have come around and like switched. His. But, but on a personal level, it's like, I can't deny that. Like, I just you know, I'm, if I'm stressed, I feel like I can go to sleep after, you know, 10 minutes of just sort of focusing on that. Right. And it's, you could call it meditation, as you say, or any of these other things. Right. Right. And that's why it's so like, it's so important to just understand the individual you're working with. Right. And not just being like, being on both sides of the spectrum, being like, you should never foam roll ever, or be like, all you should ever do is foam roll. It's yeah. like, you know, those things aren't the way to go about it. It's like, if I was with you, like working with you and you told me that that's a way that you like to relax and like implementing foam rolling, like I'm going to be like, yeah, totally foam roll. Even if like, 
even if foam rolling for maybe that particular injury or whatever you're dealing with wasn't going to be the ultimate solution, like I'm going to keep that part of your, your, your program. And then we're going to layer on some other things that, that we know based off of our knowledge and understanding of what we're dealing with is going to actually enhance that even further. Right. And I think the modalities do a great job of exactly what you said, like relaxing and making people feel comfortable. We're always on the side of like, if we want to fix or improve like a particular issue. It's like, we need to be active in our rehab, whether that's strength training, whether that's active mobility, you know, whether that's, um, going, just like asking questions, going for, like yeah. Too. Asking questions about mm-hmm. your situation. Like we're all more big, like proponent of being active in your, in your recovery and your rehab. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, and then the other thing I really wanted to ask about, is just, and I, I realized I'm like trying to like take business away from you here when I ask this, but uh, <laughs> warning signs that athletes should kind of just be mindful of when it comes to mm-hmm. sort of being on that brink of like injuring themselves, overtraining, just overreaching. Um, so wh- where do we where do we stop before things get too dire? Yeah, there's probably a couple of layers in there, eh? But uh, I think, you know, we kind of alluded to it a bit earlier where like, if you're noticing that you're changing your technique to try to continue to train, that's a little bit of an area where maybe you should go and have that addressed. Uh, I'm sending that. I'm just like cutting that quote and sending it to like 10 people immediately <laughs> following this. Just, just so you know. <laughs> Not that you can never adjust your technique, you know, but if, if, pain is the reason maybe you're doing that then that's a little bit of a of a red flag sort of thing um other things you know are if you're if you're finding that each time you go out uh it's getting worse or you know you're going on a run and like sometimes pain warms up and it feels good other times it's getting worse throughout like the activity and that's something where maybe might need to be addressed but then I think there's just the overall like overtraining kind of side of things where it's not necessarily injury, but you're just feeling beat up. You know, you're just feeling like uh, it's such a struggle to get out there for whatever uh, training b- bout that you're doing. That That's kind of maybe a sign that you, uh, you need to change something. Yeah. I liked earlier, those are all amazing. Um, but I also liked what you said earlier about um, like, does the person have a plan? Like, is there any sort of method to the madness or, or even a goal, which, you know, there's lots of people that exercise, but like, I think that's almost like when someone comes into you guys, there's been an issue. Like, again, it's not that rarely would it be someone who isn't getting it, uh, some sort of symptom or, or like they're coming to you because they are hurt or something um, along those lines. And so I like that that was like almost as a checkpoint. It's just like, okay, like, tell me about your, your training plan. Like, you know, what do you do every week and, and why? Like, why are you, what are you working towards? Right. And sometimes it might be just like, no, I'm just like really drilling myself into the ground every single day. Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people forget that reason why too, you know, and they're so caught in the, the idea that they need to get rid of their pain that they lose sight of that reason why they want to get rid of it. And that's something that we always try to bring people back to. It's tough. And you mentioned the, the runners who don't want to stop right for their fitness gain and it's like if they could see like well you want to run this race and right now you're like you know you started and you got you know you guys can't see my screen where am i here <laughs> I'm trying to like motion i mean the, the listeners can't hear anyhow but anyhow they started the journey they got fitter and then they, they're having this issue the symptom you know their, their fitness is what it is but they're gonna have to like back off right 
to then get to that fitness. But if they keep going, like the, the path, like is not good, right? Like they probably are not going to be at the form they want on the trajectory they're on. Right. Yeah. And that's the hardest part. Right. And I mean, you, I'm sure you guys face this all the time when you're, when you're coaching people, like we talked about that idea of behavioral change and trying to just have people understand those things. And it, it's hard. I've been there. I've, I know this stuff and I've, and I fell into that trap. Like it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in it, but that's the hardest part is having to have someone try to realize like, you know, maybe the short term um, reduction in running or the short term change in your programming that you don't really want to make is going to help you in the long run experience all the things that you want to experience. And, and that's hard to do. And you know what, honestly, some people at sometimes aren't, aren't ready to do that. And that's totally okay. Like, we, we can't force people to, to change in that way. Like we're going to educate and we're going to provide them with what we think is the best option. But if someone isn't like committed to being open and trying to understand those things and take that approach, it's going to be, it's going to be challenging to, to have success. So there's times where we have conversations like that with people where it's like, Hey, you know what? I, I nothing, you know, against the situation that you're going through right now, but like, you know, are you, do you, are you ready to like take on this approach or take on this challenge? And, and, and sometimes people, people aren't, and, and that's totally fine. Like we, you know, sometimes it takes them some more time trying to solve it on their own to realize, Hey, maybe I actually do need to try to take that approach. And then they're more bought in, which allows, which leads to more success. Right. Um, yeah. And so, it's hard. It's hard to do that, but everyone's their own individual. Right. It's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it brought to mind like I some of these people are doing bike packing and stuff. And the one story I heard it was like a the the loop down by you guys, the cannonball one. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it's like 360 kilometers. And they had started out, and I think in the first 5K of this 360 kilometer giant, you know, they were doing it in a day, like 18 hours or something. First 5K highway closure. They had to do like I think a 10K like roll around to get back on the route. Right. And this is at the beginning of this giant day. And I, right. I think it's almost a similar analogy of like, you know, you've gone however far you've gone and you know, you have to get to this other goal, but you know, are you going to be the person that just like stops and, you know, or are you going to go around? Right. Mm -hmm. And so many journeys. I'm not not sure which person I'm supposed to be in that case. Well, you're going to be the person that carries on, you know, you just take the bend (laughs) in the road, right? Like nothing's we talk, I always talk about point A, point B, you know, where we are, where we are, we're trying to go, where we're going, but it, it's that twisty line, right? It's never for no, for, for rarely is it a, a perfectly straight journey, right? To the Olympics or totally. to being over an injury, right? Gotcha. I'm back on track. I was like, could I call for a ride home at that? Like, I don't know. I think I'm over it at that point. Like, 360, fine. 370, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, at some point, some, you got to know when to fold them, I guess, sometimes too. That's also true. Yeah, it's also true. <laughs> and we appreciate that this stuff is challenging. That's the thing. Like we, we really do appreciate, like mm-hmm. we experience it too. So I think that that's something we really try to make known to people is like, we're not this special person or, you know, we go through these things and appreciate the difficulty of them just, just like they, they do so many factors too, like, and you must find like athletes sometimes are better, sometimes they're worse, but you know, when you're doing it and you're like, okay, well this, these guys want me to squat or do some deadlifting or something. And it's like, I haven't done that, but okay, cool. Like I'll, I'll do that. And that's sort of interesting. And that'll make me stronger hopefully. Um, but then for other people, it's maybe tougher. Cause it's like, well, what the hell do I need to do this deadlift for? Like, that's stupid. I don't need that, you know, to go to the office. And you know, if you're not thinking about sport or movement already, right. It's, you don't really have that entry point. Mm-hmm. do you yeah. have you had like what, what, what like I don't know maybe like is there 
what's the edge point with those with the people who are not already engaged in sport in some way like with your, your normal population it's a little bit more challenging i would say but we're all about like trying to meet people where they're at uh, and i think the other thing is trying to relate what we're doing to meaningful aspects of their life you know so that person might not be doing sports but i guarantee they have to pick something off the ground Hopefully. At some point, <laughs> probably more than once in the day, right? So you're yeah. trying to relate these things to them, show them why it's meaningful, show them why uh, doing this is going to help them uh, maybe navigate those situ situations a little bit better. Uh, so that's kind of the idea there. It's more challenging, though, when someone isn't necessarily inherently a motivated person. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely where I feel for the physio and therapists, right? As you get someone in there and they're sort of down on the dumps um, and it's hard to find that, that objective, you know, the next thing for them. You were going to ask a question. Are you going to ask that one? I think that could uh, be really interesting. Yeah, we had, yeah. so we had one person and Peter, you're going to have to pronounce this for me. We had one person asking actually, and I admit I did not send you this one beforehand. It came in late. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> have you guys worked much with diastasis recti? I know it's maybe a bit out of your, your region. I've seen it, uh, yeah. know that there are physios that can help with that. Not yeah. us though. Yeah. Like pelvic but, health physio. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like there are things that you can do to help with that. Um, that's, that's as far as I would go into it, I think. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, um, I mean, if you, if, if you know the region, obviously that this person's from, like we, we tend to have some connections in different areas. So we'd love to put them in contact mm -hmm. with someone because, um, you know, pelvic health is something that's super important. Um, and, and obviously something we're not well versed in, but there are people out there that know how to help with those mm -hmm. things and, and do a very good job of, of them. And it's very important. So we would love to try to put them in yeah. contact with anyone. And that was in the area that Mandy spoke about, uh, Mandy Dyer, who is yeah. uh, a friend of both of ours and sort of links us together. Um, but she, at the Paris Dancaster uh, webinar, which we are all on. Yes. Um, I so I'll link to that as well because she did talk to pelvic health, right? She did yeah. a bit, yeah, for yeah. sure. And she was someone that um, had some some knowledge, and especially when it comes to uh, the, um, cycling, right? That was the topic of the, yeah. of the webinar, and right. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's what this person was sort of asking about it in in con uh, in connection with and saying uh, there are some SI joint mobility issues on like one side. Um, so yeah, that was there. That was sort of their, well, that might be something concern. that they can. Right. Yeah, SI yeah. joint. Any thoughts? Yeah, like, again, there's like there's so many. Uh, it's like we're beating the drum yeah, here, but this like is sort of like the glutes. Just well, this, this is, is like the glutes. You've asked them. The glute I know, question. I know. I felt so bad as I like asked out. Like, anyone have questions for physios? And the questions I got were like, I was like, I can answer this for you, and it's going to be they can't answer this because you're not in there, unfortunately. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it goes down to like assessing like how how they're tolerating forces and, you know, their history and their previous experiences and, and testing out, you know, where they're at. Do they have any strength training in their program? Do they have a mobility and movement practice? You know, did they have a baby recently? You know, like that's, that's something I'm going to want to know. And maybe if so, and it's related to some diastasis recti, then I might be referring out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, it's funny. That's so much of when I do my women's cycling talks where it's sort of all about the, the, the regions and the bike, uh, 
you know, I'll have like these really specific questions and I'm like, I can name 20 things off the top of my head that that could be related to, right? Like it could be your chamois choice. It could be your saddle choice. It could be your saddle height. It could be your saddle fore and aft. It could be your cleat position. Like I can just like hammer these things off now and I feel terrible. And I'm like, I don't know. I can't like, I can't tell you which thing it is. (laughs) Um, But I think that that just all comes down to like, A, you know, sometimes you do need to actually go in and see somebody and, you know, Google or your friends aren't going to have the answer that's actually going to be right for you. You might need to get things looked at. That's so specific. Yeah. Katie Bowman, who we've had on our podcast, has some good stuff around diastasis recti as well. Yeah. 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 It's really good. Um, And then I think the other thing that people aren't doing either is like the self-experimentation and adjusting on their own. Um, You know, like we see it on the bike all the time, like people just will not change their saddle height or like try like shifting things around to like see if it feels better. They just sort of assume like, nope, this is just going to hurt. Like biking just is uncomfortable and that's that. Um, So I think there's like a balance between like when to like actually go like seek help and have like an expert actually help you out. And then also like just being willing to try things on your own too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, we talked about this when we had you guys on our podcast, but variance is so important. And sometimes as, as, as simple as adjusting a seat height or changing a slight position on something can, can mean all the, the, the difference in the world. Right. And, and that's all sometimes people need and people are surprised when they come in with like, you know, um, something that's been bothering with them for so long. And then we just, we kind of go through all those details that we've talked about on, on like the podcast so far. And then we just change one, one thing to see how it makes a difference and it feels way better. And it's like, yeah, like sometimes it's it's little things like that that make a big difference. Yeah, almost like what are you doing and then what aren't you doing and you know what makes sense out of the things you're not doing or or is there like a red flag in what you are doing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With right. the SI yeah. joint, I know the SI joint can be a little contentious, um, but like when someone comes in, they say my SI joint's like, you know, loose or janky or, you know, someone told me this. Um, what, what comes to mind usually with that, right? Like, again, we don't even need to get into the like glute amnesia and stuff side of it but when someone's oh God, having, you're obsessed with glute having symptoms in that that direction like what comes to mind with the si joint you know pelvis that sort of stuff yeah there i mean there's a lot of things like you start to con- consider right and i think a common narrative is like this idea of like my si joint is is like either stuck or or is loose you know there's a, those are a lot of terms that we hear often in um, you know, one thing we do know about the SI joint is that it's a very strong joint. And like, you know, when people say my SI joint is out or, or things like that, um, we know that like, if you did just a particular activity, your SI joint's probably not out of place. You may be experiencing or perceiving that it feels a little bit loose, but we see like SI joints being out of place when you get in something like a traumatic car accident. So those like, those are things that are important to, to like, that's what's going through my mind. And I might not necessarily tell that to someone, but I'm listening to these things and thinking about these things in, in my mind when it comes to, to the SI. Um, but in terms of like how we would approach it, it's, it's a, it's a tough one because there's just, again, a lot of things that, that go into the recovery of it. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of specifics in terms of like, well, what were you doing or what, what activity are you doing? Cause you know, it may be that you're spending a lot of time in a particular position that's putting some stress on that area. And it may be as simple as like changing that position. So there's a lot of kind of other things like 
that go into it. I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but um, if you had like maybe more specific of a, a sure. an experience or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's very general. I think the whole thing is um, will mentioned sort of just even loading, right? Like, are they deadlifting in any type of way, like opening their hip, you know, side to side, like some of the stuff you guys talked about, even just with running, I think is where my mind usually goes when we're talking about like, it feels loose or, you know, I don't feel like I have control or something's different there. Right. It's just seeing, you know, what is sort of going on there. Like, are you just sitting on a bicycle and then also at your desk all day? Um, you know, and is there something to try there at least? Right. Right. And like in that scenario it would be like, okay, let's explore like movement, movement options. I know that's something that you've, you talked about, sure. you know, if someone's spending a lot of time sitting on the bike and then spending a lot of time sitting at work and then spending a lot of time sitting at home, you know, it's like, well, maybe we need to get you out of that position and that could be sensitizing that area. Um, so we would explore other options that would move you in a different direction, like getting you more extended through the low back or experimenting with like some movements that put some extension in that position. Right. So that it's a different movement to the area. Yeah. We're and maybe to, just go ahead. I was just going to say, we're trying to expose that area to more stress in terms of like loading uh, and, and that can be something like a deadlift, you know, where you're trying to just improve the tolerance of that, uh, area, that structure, uh, to loading, you know, mm -hmm. and, and when we say tolerance, we say tolerance because, uh, it's, it's more about that versus like, uh, improving like the tissue, you know, like Dalton said, like, we're not trying to like bring it closer together. We're just having, trying to get it so that your nervous system tolerates that stress a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I like that awesome well tell everyone where they can where they can listen to you check out your ebooks book appointments with you if they're in the Dundas area all of the things you, geez, you guys are like us where it's just like here's the 18 million different modalities that we're spreading this stuff through I love it yeah yeah. Um, so the best place to find everything would be the movementphysio.ca. So that's our website. There's like links to where you can, if you want to work with us, you can find that there. If you want to see our podcast, you can find us there. Um, we're very active on Instagram. So our Instagram is at the MVMTPTs. Um, we're also, obviously we have, um, you know, we have the PT coffee cast, which you can find on Apple podcast, Spotify, most of the, those platforms. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests. And yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram. Uh, and I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week. Wow. What an episode. That was amazing. When that one person said that thing and then the other person totally like set them straight. Oh man, that was great. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that again. But hey, since I have your attention now, hello, cyclocross friends, new friends and old friends and soon to be friends. My name's Bill. I host a, another show on the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network. It's called Cyclocross Radio, and we talk to the biggest stars in cyclocross and even the medium stars in cyclocross and some of the soon-to-be stars in cyclocross. We also have a panel discussion we call the Media Pit with my buddy Zach and Michael where we go over all of the new 
rules that might be coming out and the calendar situations and races that happen. It's a great time. It's a great conversation. We built an amazing community that we want you to be part of. So go to wideanglepodium.com, become a member there, then go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Cyclocross Radio. Do it. Do it now. Cyclocross friends.